You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast. This is the next in our series on the COVID-19 preparations and specifically the simulation activities that people are doing in preparation or indeed as an adjunct to already the clinical care that is happening around the world. I'm Victoria Brazel and in this episode I've asked a series of our friends and colleagues around the world to send us some short audio clips just telling us what they're doing, what they've found and what tips they might have for other simulation providers who are trying to assist in the challenge that's facing healthcare. So this is obviously not comprehensive, but hopefully it's the ongoing conversation that we're seeing happening via social media and via our formal and informal networks that can help all of us learn lessons from the experience of others. So let's jump right in. The first audio segment you're about to hear is from Dr. Albert Chan. He's an anaesthetist from the Department of Anesthesia and Intensive Care at the Prince of Wales Hospital at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, He's going to tell you a little bit about the work they've done, particularly in intubation and airway management for their staff in the intensive care unit and operating theatre. I'll post the links to the resources that he's provided on Life in the Fast Lane and his own departmental website. So uh, here's Albert Chan. Hello, this is Albert Chan. I'm an anaesthetist working at Prince of Wales Hospital in Hong Kong. In preparedness for COVID-19, we have run in situ simulations in both the operating theater and intensive care units, focusing on high-risk aerosol-generating procedures, including intubation and extubation. What we aim is for education of staff, including awareness around infection control principles for COVID-19, and also, very importantly, process testing for preparedness of this viral disease. In a period of over two weeks, we have run in situ simulations for 250 staff working both in the intensive care unit and the operating theaters for management of COVID-19 patients. For us, the focus areas of training include technical aspects of airway management in COVID-19 patients, donning and doffing of personal protective equipment, helping staff identify clean versus contaminated areas within the clinical workspace, and also through simulation, highlight the importance of team communication and cross-monitoring for contamination when managing such cases. So some of the tips that we have for running such simulation trainings for COVID-19 preparedness is to engage all stakeholders, be it leadership, frontline healthcare workers of all ranks, and also other ancillary staff who may be involved in managing COVID-19 patients. Also, it is important to have a dedicated team to focus on training and also liaise with leadership and infection control teams to align goals and outcomes to develop protocols and work processes. We think that in the current pandemic, using simulation training will help build capacity and empower staff and build confidence in the face of uncertainty. At the same time, it also demonstrates to them that using such iterative testing for systems improvement is aimed at protecting them as well as the patients. So to learn more about what we have done, we have shared some of our resources with the help of Chris Nixon on Life in the Fast Lane, litfl.com. Also, our team has developed an infographic 
on practical tips for management of COVID-19 patients. And we have shared that on our department website, www.aic.cuhk.edu.hk slash COVID-19. Thank you, and I hope this helps. You're listening to Simulcast. So that is great stuff from Albert focused on what many of us have been thinking about as the challenges with respect to airway management and the critically critical care procedures. But our next segment is from uh, Andrew Petrosoniak, also from Canada, who's going to be talking to us about a slightly different challenge, and that is how we might use simulation for the development of assessment spaces or fever clinics in my part of the world and how that can be best done to facilitate both assessment and to protect staff and other patients from cross-infection. So uh, Andrew, many of you might know, he works at St. Mike's Hospital in Toronto, Canada, where he is an emergency physician and trauma team leader, and he's now the uh, lead for translational simulation at that institution. So here is Petro. Hi, Vic and Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Andrew Petrosoniak. I'm uh, an eMERGE doc and uh, trauma doc at St. Mike's in Toronto, and I'm the lead for our translational simulation. Uh, I won't talk too much about uh, the COVID resuscitation simulations because I'm sure you've got lots of people speaking about that, but I've been heavily involved in the use of simulation to design and inform uh, the COVID assessment or testing spaces uh, particularly for sort of the lower risk people. And I think that this is definitely an area that can have a lot of value and uh, sim folks can really um, flex a muscle and, uh, and and be quite helpful. Uh, we just finished doing this at St. Mike's and we're opening it up tomorrow. It's been fully tested. Uh, the plan is that we can see up to uh, four or 500 a day uh, and this will divert people away from our emergency department. Uh, a couple of the things that I guess I'd want to, you know, um, emphasize is that, uh, once you decide on your space, uh, start with a blueprint and, and use a, a kind of a multimodal simulation strategy for this. Uh, so we're starting with blueprint and you could, you know, have the drawings uh, of the space and you could move little Lego people around and understand, uh, how that space is going to work for you and exactly what you need to get accomplished. Uh, and then once you have um, the space physically secured, I highly recommend uh, doing some simulations, uh, sort of early prototyping with cardboard. We were in our space using tape, uh, taping out exactly where people are going to move and how they're going to move through that space. And we had IPAC or our infection control folks following us along so that they could say yes or no to each piece of the process that was involved because I've never been a part of anything that's been so heavily scrutinized from a uh, an infection control uh, perspective. And this really was so critical for us to be able to play out each step, even from handing in your health card. How can that be done safely uh, from moving, from maintaining two meters apart? All of these unbelievable elements that we just otherwise never consider uh, in, you know, when we're doing <laughs> this type of stuff in, 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 um, even when we're planning regular designs of spaces. So the, the emphasis on infection control and keeping both the patients, uh, and the clinicians safe has just been 
beyond anything I've ever imagined. And, and it really emphasized the importance of running through some simulations so that people can see this. We definitely saw value in having um, our infection control people observing this. We had executives come down to uh, as support. And so this was really critical uh, for the success of our simulations. And, and then finally, um, before we launched, we did final sim testing and we built in education into this. So that's uh, what I guess I would share uh, for you. Uh, Vic asked me to keep this under three minutes and it's just a little bit over that, but hopefully um, some folks from uh, around the world can hear this and certainly reach out if they have any questions. Happy to share uh, once our, once this goes live, our blueprint and uh, all the, a lot of the work. Uh, I was just involved in the sim part, but the planning was uh, a colleague of mine, Joel Lockwood. So uh, it's been impressive. It's been amazing. Uh, and it's certainly scary times, but I think we're uh, better prepared. Uh, with that, I'm off. So thanks so much to to Petro for that uh, great synopsis of a perhaps less uh, intensively focused upon area in simulation, and that is assessment space design. And if you'd like to find out more from Petro, you can perhaps direct message him on Twitter, where he uh, tweets as at P-E-T-R-O-S-O-N-I-A-K. Thank you very much, Andrew. You're listening to Simulcast. And just a reminder, I will be putting the links to these resources in both the blog post and also Jesse is collating them on the COVID-19 resource section on the uh, simulationpodcast.com simulcast website. Our next segment is from Tim Willett, also from Canada. Uh, he is the president and CEO of Simulation Canada, who have compiled an incredible resource uh, at sim-one.ca. Uh, huge array of resources there for people to take a look at if they are interested. In this clip, uh, Tim talks about the work that they've been doing at Sim One in Canada and is quick to credit his team and the others at places like EM Sim Cases for the resources that they've been able to curate and share. So he talks a lot about the community of practice, but also makes the point that a lot of the things that we can do really involve quite uh, simple, straightforward simulations that are high impact uh, and not difficult to do. So here's Tim. This is Tim Willett speaking from Ottawa, Canada. I'm the president and CEO of Simulation Canada, which is our national network for simulation. And I've seen some tremendous examples here and around the world of simulation being used to truly make a difference in system preparedness of hospitals and of staff, and importantly, of staff safety in the face of the new coronavirus. There's some great tools and resources being shared freely. Um, and as we identify them, We've set up a, a website to collect them, uh, make them more readily available. You can find that on our website, uh, which is sim-one.ca, sim-one.ca. And from what I've seen, these simulations really fall into three categories. Firstly, there's simulation drills and exercises for hospitals to test the system itself, equipment, policies and protocols, and surge capacity. These allow for any problems to be corrected, uh, and they also are great for engaging and empowering staff and boosting morale, which is so important in times of uncertainty and fear. Uh, it can really help the hospital to run a lot smoother, 
uh, and more effectively and efficiently when cases of coronavirus do start appearing. The second are simulations regarding personal protective equipment, which is vitally important for healthcare providers to protect themselves. Uh, there is a great example from the province of Guangdong in China, uh, which was the first province there to incorporate PPE sims into their local guidelines. And so far they've had zero infected healthcare workers, despite a huge population um, presenting to hospital with coronavirus. Then the third category is simulation for education on uh, assessment and management of the virus per se. There are some free virtual screen-based simulations as well as some mannequin-based simulations available. What's important to keep in mind is that none of these require extensive simulation capacity or experience or high-end equipment. With the free resources that are already available, any care delivery agency can take advantage of the power of simulation. And we see it making a difference here in Canada. We see it making difference uh, around the world. And Tim can also be followed on Twitter at simtim underscore one. So thanks very much, Tim, for that contribution and all the work that you are doing. My next audio clip comes from Dr. James Leung, who is an assistant clinical professor at McMaster University and a PEDS emergency physician. He's the simulation director at the McMaster Children's Hospital in Ontario in Canada. And he talked to us a little bit about uh, some of the work they've been doing in pediatrics and uh, in particular the work in PPE and on team dynamics. So uh, here's James. Hi, everyone. I hope you're all staying safe out there. My name is James Leung, and I am a pediatric emergency medicine physician and simulation lead at McMaster Children's Hospital in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. On March 4, 2020, our simulation team conducted an interprofessional in situ simulation in our pediatric emergency department. This was requested by departmental leaders as an early response of what was then the rapidly evolving COVID-19 global health concern and has now become a global pandemic. The primary objective of our simulation was to rapidly determine system gaps in our PED's response plan to a COVID-19 person of interest from the time of their presentation through the front door to their eventual resuscitation for respiratory failure. The simulation was of, of tremendous interest to our organization and was, was observed by representatives from our infectious diseases, occupational health and infection prevention and control or IPAC. Overall, the simulation was a fantastic starting point and refining tool to our planned response. From this exercise, we observed two areas of focus where simulation was particularly valuable. Number one, paramount to everything, was observing appropriate donning, doffing, and safe use of PPE by our healthcare providers, quote, in the field. With our ID, IPAC, and OCH Health colleagues observing, we were immediately able to troubleshoot PPE issues and establish practical processes that improved our safety. These included solutions for doffing in the absence of a dedicated anti-room, N95 mask tips, and practical tips such as use of disposable stethoscopes, pens, and bedside medical resources to prevent breaches of PPE. Working through these issues also significantly eased our providers' comfort and confidence, which although is typically not seen as a robust academic outcome, is at the forefront for the physical and mental well-being of our team during these frankly scary and burnout-prone times. 
The second focus area we observed is effective team dynamics in a scenario where infection control is paramount. The simulation allowed us to create an additional resuscitation team role of the quote runner who is donned in PPE but has no direct contact with the patient. They had a job of gathering equipment such as IV, saline bags, and drawn up medications and delivering them to the bedside team. Also unique to pediatrics is learning to manage the parent who may be potentially contaminated in this scenario. We learned to balance our standard of allowing parents to touch and interact with their child with protecting the team through appropriate masking, washing of their hands, and parental isolation precautions. For our institution, the simulation served as inspiration for a significant restructuring of our entire PED map for this pandemic. At our institution, our resuscitation rooms are not negative pressure rooms and therefore require a portable HEPA filtration unit to be used for airborne precautions, which are recommended for aerosol generating procedures such as intubation with COVID-19. After experiencing the noise from the HEPA filter alone, which is akin to a jet plane with while talking through muffled N95 masks, we are planning to use our negative pressure rooms for patients, requiring both resuscitation and airborne precautions, which is particularly relevant again in this COVID-19 pandemic. We plan on conducting additional in situ simulations to test how resuscitations will be carried out in this room. Finally, the IPAC lessons we learned will be used to inform practice for other specialties and divisions within our organization. Our case was adapted from the EM-SIM cases on COVID-19 created by Drs. Aliyah Daramsi, Suyin Yi, and Kate Hyman from the University of Toronto. I have submitted our case to EM-SIM cases for posting, but can be reached on Twitter at Dr. J.S.C. Lung if you need it sooner. Stay safe, everyone. You're listening to Simulcast. And my last uh, audio snippet comes from Dr. Christine Park, who's a professor of anesthesiology uh, in Chicago, where she works as the director for Simulation and Integrative Learning Institute at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. And uh, some of you might also know Christine because she is a previous president of the Society for Simulation in Healthcare in the United States. And she really talks to us about a uh, variety of things they've been doing in terms of the training of their providers, but also some of the other things that uh, they've been doing in terms of coping with cancellation of learning for their other simulation activities. And she talks about the WhatsApp group that they've set up for simulation providers to learn from each other and to post resources. So here's Christine. Hi, Vic. It's Christine Park from Chicago. Thank you so much for inviting me to offer a few comments about the amazing global response of the simulation community to the COVID-19 pandemic. It occurred to me that there are three main areas of impact for us as simulation professionals. The first is in terms of the clinical preparation, so the actual preparation for providers in caring for COVID-19 patients and emergency response. The second is in terms of the educational modifications that have become necessary as institutions are recommending widespread cancellation of really all educational events as well as in-person simulation experiences. And the third is in assisting with systems analysis and needs analysis of teams and systems who are involved in the response. 
I think one of the very significant opportunities that we have before us as a global community of practice in simulation is to leverage that community of practice to develop consensus and really to assert advocacy of best practice not only for our patients, not only for ourselves as simulation professionals, um, but for institutional uh, behavior or institutional actions. I've noticed that institutions seem to have a fairly broad-ranging variety of reactions and buy-in to simulation from the full-scale buy-in and training of providers using simulation to those that are still more relying on didactic approaches and and maybe video-based kinds of education. I also saw that there's lots and lots of expertise around the world and really from every continent and every country that has been affected by this problem. And to that end, we have tried to create a common place for resource sharing. And I realized that there are multiple ones out there. Um, but I sent you the link to the WhatsApp group. Uh, people can join that for sharing. There's also a Google Docs. I sent you the link to that as well. And we did create a Twitter hashtag, which is hashtag COVID-19 underscore SIM. So can, people can keep each other posted on the very latest developments. Despite the fact that this worldwide problem, this pandemic, has really put so many of us into crisis mode, one of the things that I am really heartened about is the way that we have been able to come together, that we have been able to learn from each other, and that we as simulation professionals have really been in a leading role in terms of advising our colleagues about how to respond to this crisis and adapt as necessary. After all, creativity and adaptability are part of the foundation of what we do as simulation professionals. Thanks so much for the opportunity to share with your podcast, and I look forward to tracking along with everybody else around the world how our response to this crisis continues. Thanks so much. So I think Christine really captures it nicely there that one of the functions for any of us in simulation is to be building skills building confidence, and in many ways, connecting people so that they realize they're not dealing with this on their own, either as simulation providers or as healthcare providers. So I'd like to finish off just by summarizing some of my own thoughts on this. Uh, I think this is really a fantastic opportunity for the simulation community to shine. Never has there been an opportunity for simulation to be more translational in terms of uh, identifying the system's issues and being able to rapidly uh, get teams to develop solutions to the problems and challenges that they see ahead of them. Uh, personally, at my institution, we've taken the approach of trying to build on the relationships that we've built over the last number of years with our clinical departments and trying simply to identify challenges with them and uh, work on them to become as self-sufficient as possible in uh, training to meet those challenges. But I, again, I would uh, emphasize, and we've just been sharing some fairly frank thoughts amongst the simulcast producers about uh, how anxiety-provoking these times can be. And so I would encourage everyone to find their communities wherever they can, uh, including, but obviously not limited to, the simulation ones. 
We'd love to hear from you. So please uh, get on our website, that's simulationpodcast.com, offer up some thoughts on the discussion forum or, or continue to contribute on the ones you are involved in. And uh, if you are developing scenarios or resources, please uh, find one of the repositories you've heard here to share them on. So I'm Victoria Brazel signing off for Simulcast. You're listening to Simulcast. Simulcast. 